If you have your Bible, let's turn together to Romans once again. And we're going to be in chapter 15, or all the way up to verse 13 of chapter 15. And uh, in your bulletin, it says that we're going to go from 13 to 17. And this is one of those weeks when I realized, let's just do one verse. So that's what we're going to do and um, change, change the title to The God of Hope. And uh, the title is usually a little bit irrelevant, but just want to mention that because it says something different in the bulletin. So uh, let's, let's read this one verse together. It says in Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. All right. We have here, as we, we come to this spot, Paul has been working out something about the problems in the church in Rome, and these are problems that are not uh, just found in the church in Rome. Obviously, they're given to us in Scripture so that we can take them and apply them, and we've been working through that. This verse actually caps off a whole big section that started at chapter 14, verse 1, it had to do with not passing judgment on one another, not causing one another to stumble following the example of Christ, where there are these disagreements about what exactly is the right thing to do in honoring Christ, and sometimes people are trying to honor Christ, but doing it in ways that show that their faith is weak, and, and others who are tempted to come in and say, you weakling, I am the strong one, look at me, and, and Paul is just encouraging them not to get caught up in those things, but instead to give up our freedoms, to uh, to accommodate for each other's weaknesses and, and to, to concentrate on this idea of, of being of one mind and of glorifying God together uh, and building each other up in Christ. And it kind of all is capped off in this one big statement that we just read in verse 13. I think that sometimes people's minds work in a way where you look at a problem, and this is just, just kind of depends on your personality and how you're put together. You may look at a problem, and you may see that problem that needs to be dealt with kind of like a, a great big house that's been ransacked. And as, as you think about the problem, uh, it, 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 you can't just reduce it down to one thing and just say, well, it's, this is the root of it if we just fix this, because it's a whole house that's been ransacked. And so it, it, you're thinking about that problem, you know, well, I've got to go through this room, and I've got to go through everything in it, and I've got to inventory it, and I've got to go through this room and inventory everything in it, see what's gone on. I've got to get this entire picture of this entire thing in my head, holding together every detail of all of it. That's just how kind of some people's minds work. And then there are some people whose minds work in the way where you confront a problem and, and you really want to just reduce it down to say, hey, well, what's the bottom line thing, right? Kind of, kind of like, well, my car is broken. Okay, well, I could go and inventory all of the things about the, the, the tread on the tires and uh, the scratch on the trunk and all this stuff, but really what I need to do is I need to say, okay, the alternator went dead. Uh, here's the root thing. The alternator needs to be replaced, right? Now, sometimes in the Bible, when you go through a big section where it's been addressing this and this and this and this, and, and here's all of these problems that are going on in the church, and here's what needs to be done about it, sometimes it's just kind of, you just got to keep all that stuff in your head at once. It's like that big house that's uh, that's a mess, and you just you just got to do the mental work of holding the whole big problem together all at once. But then sometimes, mercifully, God gives us this kind of bottom line statement right here, and I just love these things. I love it when God just boils it down to say, "Hey, here's the root problem." Maybe that says something about my personality. I don't know. But I love it when he can just say, okay, yeah, we've got this and this and this and the meat sacrifice to idols and the wine and the holidays and all these problems about uh, the weak and the strong and this is going on and this is going on. And, but here you get just this kind of top off, boil it down statement. Here's the thing you need to look at. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, some would look at that and say, well, that's not going to solve the meat problem and the holiday problem and all that, but 
Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to know everything else that comes before that. It's all very necessary. But he also says, hey, here's the root thing. Here's how I want to finish this up. Here's how I want to address those divisions that are going on over the weak versus the strong and all of these differences of opinion about how exactly Christ should be honored. Here's what I want you to do. I, wanna, I want us to pray together. I want us to pray together that God would do a work in us that would put the attention of our hearts on the hope that we share together in God such that we would abound together in that hope and so that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have this joy and this peace. And when, when he, that's kind of the bottom line is he's saying, hey, don't get caught up in all of that stuff you need to look to the Lord and abound in hope. But as we come to this, it is really a prayer. It's, it's not exactly a command, although there's implications about what we ought to be doing that are built into this prayer. But it is a prayer for believers. One, one of the things that you see there, by the way, if you're following along on the outline of the back of your bulletin, it's useless today. Sorry about that. <laughs> But maybe you'll take notes anyway. I don't know. What we have here in verse 13 is a prayer. One of the things that that shows us is that we ought to pray. Now, that sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? But you see this throughout the pages of the Bible, and you see this throughout even the pages of Romans, and as Paul the Apostle writes this and other letters in the New Testament, that even as he's going along and he's giving instructions uh, having to do with laying out theological truths or laying out um, instructions for how those theological truths should be applied to individuals and to churches and, and to families and all kinds of things, that occasionally he'll just, he'll just break out in praise and other times he'll just break out in prayer. And these prayers typically have to do with praying for the people that he's writing for, to. Praying for the saints. Praying for the churches. And these are prayers that are not just Paul's prayers, but breathed out by the Holy Spirit God for us. And so it shows us on, on, on one level, this ought to be part of who we are as Christians is that we ought to pray. We, we ought to have times that are set aside specifically in our lives for prayer. And we ought to have just a heart that is tuned toward God such that we pray continually as the Bible commands us to do. Such that as we're going about what we're doing and what we're saying, that our hearts would break out in prayer. And this is a prayer that is, as I said, it's, it's for the saints. And so this is a prayer that we can take and we can use for each other. And this is actually one of the prayers that cycles through on our prayer list. You know how the top thing on the prayer list every week, those of you who look at the prayer list, you know this, those of the, the top thing on the prayer list every week is a prayer that is from the Bible that we can pray for each other, for fellow believers. And this is one of those that pops up every once in a while in our prayer list. And that's because as you have these prayers that are right here for each other, we can take those and we can use those. We can pray those. And we can pray those in general for all believers. We can pray those in general for everybody in our church. We can pray those specifically for other believers that we know and love that God would work in the ways that it's being prayed for here. In fact, this is the most normal kind of way that, that the Bible shows Christians praying for each other, is this kind of prayer. Now, uh, the most common way I think that, that we end up praying for each other in modern days is, is what you call the organ recital, right? Where, where you find out about every organ that is broken in every body and you recite them. Now, that's not a bad thing to do. Because there is scriptural example for that. In the letter of 3 John, there's a prayer that uh, things would go well with your health. So that's a good thing to pray for. But I do think it's also instructive that that's the one prayer <laughs> that you see in the New Testament uh, 
for fellow believers' physical health. And then the rest of the prayers in the New Testament that you see for fellow believers are things like this. Things like thanking God for each other, things like praying that God would build each other up in our hope and in our joy and in our peace, praying that God would make us more into the image of Christ, that God would confirm our faith and our hope and our love. And, and, and th- that's the kind of thing that you typically see here. And so that's the kind of habit that we as Christians ought to develop in our prayers for each other. Uh, so anytime that you don't, if you, if you think of a brother or sister in Christ and you, you, you don't have a specific prayer request for them because it just so happens that they're not in the hospital that day, well, we have a lot of things that we can still pray for each other. And this is one example of that. And we can pray that, just in general, that God would build them up in Christ. But some specifics that we have here. If you look at this, what does he say? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, what I want to point out, first of all, is that this is a prayer to God, that God would do something. This is a prayer about what God would work. Now, as we go through it, we're going to see that there's aspects of what he's going to pray for that elsewhere in the Bible have to do with what the person being prayed for will do. Right. So if, if I pray uh, that, that somebody will grow in Christ... I'm typically, you know, part of what's going to do that, how they're going to grow in Christ, is that they're going to do something. They are going to be willing to listen to the preaching of the Bible, willing to open the Bible for themselves and read it, willing to be in prayer. Just those kinds of basic means of grace whereby somebody is built up. But even in that, what's going on? Is it they themselves that are doing it? When we grow in Christ, is it Uh, us growing ourselves in Christ will know it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure says Philippians 2 and so this is a prayer to God that God would work ultimately this isn't something that we can make happen for ourselves we can be about the means of grace we can be in our Bible we can be in prayer but we have to know that even if we work Even if one person plants and another waters, it is always God who gives the growth. And so it is a prayer to God. God has to be the one who would do this work. Not a thing that we can make happen. This is a thing that we can pray that God will do. And I I want to assert to you too, because this is a God-breathed prayer, it's the kind of thing we know in advance that God loves to do. If you want to be certain that you're praying in Jesus' name, right? Jesus instructed us to pray in his name, and that's not just about tacking on to the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, even though I, I like that ending. You guys know that. It's saying, I want to pray in such a way that I'm pretty sure that Jesus would approve this prayer. I'm pretty sure that this is the kind of thing that Jesus would have me to bring to you, Father. I'm pretty sure that I can pray this as though I were bringing a message from Christ to the throne of the Father. And if you want to be confident in that, what better place to go for the root of your prayers than the Scripture itself, where the Holy Spirit of God has already breathed out these words that we can then return to Him, take not just the words themselves but the concepts and lay them at the feet of God And know that, wow, if I'm praying what the Bible says, how can I go wrong with my prayer? So may the God of hope, the God of hope, let's consider that, that God is the God of hope. Any kind of hope that you may have, any kind of hope that the world may have that's not from God is not real hope. There, there can be all kinds of false substitutes for actual hope. There can be all kinds of psychological tricks to say, boy, I can, if I can just make myself think positively, 
everything would be okay. If I could just make myself speak positively, maybe I can manifest it in the world. Something like that. You know what? Boy, all, all of that stuff, there's so many ways in which the sinful, unbelieving world, hating God, maybe not even thinking about hating God because they hate him so much they just want to ignore him altogether and not think about him. Can, can the sinful world can trick themselves into thinking that, that, boy, my guilt before God doesn't really matter because I can have peace, I can have joy, I can have hope, and I can cling to my sin in rebellion against God and make myself feel good about it. That's not hope. That's lostness. That is blindness in sin. Hope is not a blindfold to reality. Hope is found in God alone through Christ alone. He is the God of hope. If you are guilty before God in your sin, the solution is not to make yourself feel like you're not guilty. The solution is to be forgiven by God and have real, actual assurance of real, actual eternal life rather than eternal condemnation in our sin he's the god of hope that kind of hope that's in the bible is hope that is given only to the hopeless it, it is forgiveness of sins only for those who realize that they are lost sinners it, it, it's the kind of thing where it's only those who know that they're sick who are willing to come to the physician to be healed. And so this hope for the hopeless, it's where sinners are able to come to God knowing that we have no hope, that we're lost, but to receive the forgiveness that Christ has given us, and in receiving Christ and trusting in Christ, to have not only forgiveness of sins, but assurance that in Jesus we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places stored up for us forever. It is hope for the hopeless. It's hope for the future. That word hope has a future-oriented element to it. It's where we as Christians, sometimes we talk about the Christian hope. What are we talking about with the Christian hope? We're talking about where are we as Christians ultimately going? As Christians, where are we headed? Well, if you die before Jesus comes back, you're headed to heaven immediately you will though he die yet shall he live if you believe jesus says that is hope right there and you may not die before jesus comes back you may or may not but we have the hope that jesus is coming back and jesus is raising the dead and us who trust in christ we have a certain reality that we call our hope, that, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, physically, body and soul together, and is still alive today, that we will be raised in that same likeness, body and soul put back together, and we will live eternally with him. We, we have that hope that he will consummate the kingdom that he will crush and destroy all of his and our enemies, Satan himself being chief among them, but death being the last enemy to be destroyed. God's going to put it away, and those of us who are in Christ, that we are going to live eternally in his presence in that place that's described in Revelation 21 and 22 called the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. It's going to be perfect. There's going to be no problem. Every tear will be wiped away. Every bit of sin and sadness, everything that's ever gone wrong in this world, it's going to come undone there. And there will be nothing, not a single hint of hatred. It will be complete love forever and ever. That's where we'll be for all eternity. That's what we call hope. He is the God of hope. And so it's something about the future, it's something about eternity, but the way that the Bible describes this hope is not the way that the world uses hope. So you've probably heard me say this before because you, I'm the guy who talks up here. But 
that hope that the world describes is, you know, I, I hope I'm going to get this thing for Christmas. I, I hope I get promoted. I hope I'm going to have enough money to retire. I hope this. I hope that. Well, uh, th- that's kind of like, a, I, I kind of want to keep a positive outlook, but I don't know so much. That's worldly hope. The hope the Bible describes is not maybe this, maybe that, I hope so. It is certainty. It is a faith in the future. It's resting upon the promises of Christ that what Christ has accomplished at the cross is perfect. And therefore, he will accomplish all the rest of it for all eternity for me as a believer. He's going to do it. So when, when we say we have the Christian hope, we're, we're not saying, well, I trust in Jesus, so I hope I'll go to heaven. I, I, I hope he comes back. I, I, you know, I hope that he's going to actually fulfill all his promises one day. No, it, it's, he will do it. This is the kind of hope that we have, is a certain hope, and it's a hope that's described in a way that's, that's almost like what we call assurance of salvation. There, there's times in the Bible where it's, it's really even used that way explicitly. One of those times is the passage that we prayed through earlier in Romans chapter 5, where it says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Guys, character produces hope? You know what that's talking about? That's talking about the kind of hope that, that often we, we call assurance. It's, I know that I am in Christ. I know that I am going to heaven. I know that my sins are forgiven because God has been gracious to me in Jesus Christ. And so God is the God of hope. God is the one who can set our eternities for us in Jesus. God is the one who can make sure that in our hearts that we abound in hope. We'll get to that at the end of the verse. God's the one who can put all of that together. He is the God of hope, but I just want to emphasize that. If you're seeking hope somewhere other than God, you're seeking psychological tricks you're seeking worldly things god is the god of hope well what's the prayer to this god of hope the prayer is may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing let's talk about that filling may he fill you so he's going to fill you with joy fill you with peace i guess on one level you can picture this almost like sometimes our the gas tank of our joy is getting pretty low. Sometimes the gas tank of our peace is getting pretty low. And we need God to fill it up. I do think it's appropriate to think of it that way. But there's another aspect to this idea of filling. And it's just the way that the Bible uses this word. This, this is not like a secret trick of, well, if you actually knew Greek like me, then you would know the meaning of this word. This is just like Read your New Testament and see how it uses this word. There's an element to this filling that has to do with being made complete, being made mature. This is that, hey, we, we were small in our faith and we need to be grown up. We need to be filled up. You see this in a place like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that, that this is that we need to be filled to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the way that the Bible uses this word. It's not just you were empty and you need to be full, but it's you were not at the full stature of Christ and you need to be brought there. You need to be completed. You need to be matured. And so this is even one sense in which the Bible sometimes uses this idea of being filled with the Spirit, or another way to translate that would be being filled by the Spirit. Sometimes that being filled with the Spirit is a particular empowerment for a particular task that God gives at a particular time for somebody to accomplish. 
But sometimes it's, it, it's just talked about in the Bible as being made more fully conformed to Christ. Being filled up by the power of the Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. And do you know some of the things that Jesus is like? Jesus is joyful. Jesus has perfect peace. Jesus has perfect hope. Every bit of the fruit of the Spirit is completely and fully present in Christ. The Spirit of Christ, fruit of the Spirit, it's all going to go together. If you want to be filled up like Jesus, we need the God of hope to fill us. And what does it say that he would fill us with as he builds us up in Christ, as he, as he fills our tanks and makes us more mature in Jesus, with all joy and peace in believing? So let's talk about those two things really quickly, that the joy and that peace that we pray for, both for ourselves and for each other. That he would fill you with all joy. Well, first of all, you need to know that this joy and this peace are on the list of the fruit of the Spirit that you find in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. One of the things to know there, if we're praying that God would fill us with joy, and we're putting that together with the fact that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, it ought to be obvious that this comes from God the Spirit, it might be less obvious that we'll, we'll, we'll see throughout the New Testament that the way, the means by which the Spirit grows us in these things, in these fruits, even specifically in this one fruit of joy, is through what we call the ordinary means of grace. It's always God's work to grow us to fill us, to build us up, to make the tiny little buds of the fruit of the Spirit that you have in your life because you're a Christian, to make them grow into full fruit. That is always the work of the Spirit. We can never get credit for it. But he's given us means to pursue that grace. The way that Don Whitney described it in his book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which is available back in the book nook, is that it's like, it's like God has put us on the bank of a river. And this river in front of us is grace. And we need to grow in grace. We need to soak in grace so that we can be built up in Christ. And, and it's always going to be only the work of God that does it to grow us in our joy and in all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's always going to be God's work. But he also has given us this little staircase and, and followed by a ladder where we can on a daily basis, even an hourly, a minutely basis, we can, we can go down into that river of grace and soak in it and be built up by it. We call that the means of grace. What are these means of grace? Well, it, it's stuff that you might call like a quiet time, devotional. It's, it's means like the Word of God, where you would open up your Bible that the Holy Spirit has written, and you'd soak in it, and you meditate on it, and you learn from it, but even when you're not necessarily learning some kind of a new fact that you didn't know from it, that you're being transformed by it and submitting to it. And where we're going to God in prayer, it's one of those means of grace where we are actually being heard by God because Christ has died for us and interceding for us at the right hand of the Father and sent his spirit to intercede for us and makes it so that we can pray because our sins are forgiven. He's listening to us and he's using that for his purposes to answer and to work. But part of what he's doing in prayer too is he's changing us. He's molding us. He's growing us in the fruit of the spirit. Things like not just sitting alone under, uh, with, with your Bible open, but coming and sitting under the preaching of the Word together. Part of that is because God uses preachers, hopefully, to bring out things in the text that you might not have brought out for yourself. Part of that also, too, because there's another means of grace built right in here into gathering together that you get to see each other. 
You get to find out what's going on in each other's lives. You get to be the church together. You get to love one another, build one another up, find out what's going on in each other's lives, hold each other accountable. These are things that can't happen when you're just sitting at home watching YouTube. And so these means of grace, these means of grace are things that God uses. And so that's kind of, even though it doesn't quite come out and say it right here, it's built into the prayer. If we, if we want the God of hope to fill you with all joy and peace and believing, part of the way that he's going to do that is through our actually stepping into the river of grace through the ways that he's give, given us of the word and prayer and of that church fellowship to be built up in Christ. It's simple. It's ordinary. It's normal. You don't go to it every day and come away and say, boy, I am a hundred times more Christian now than I was when I sat down before my devotional time. And yet over time, God uses that to build us and grow us and mold us and to grow things like our joy. And so I said, we're talking about joy. What is that joy? that he would build us in, that we pray that God would give to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That joy is an abiding joy. It's really, really closely connected to the hope that he's already said, that this is the God of hope. That hope is the reason why we can have an abiding joy. If you're constantly worried that everything is going to fall apart at any moment, it's hard to have joy. If you're constantly assured that everything is going to come together no matter what, you can have joy even if things don't look great in the moment. That joy, is, it's something that's different than happiness. The way that we know it's different from happiness is because we have this command in Philippians 4.4 that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that command is an always command, and you don't always have to be happy. How do I know that? Jesus wept. We can be in those situations that are sad situations. In Jesus' case, it was the fact that his friend had died and he was surrounded by his friend's sisters and other mourners, and he cried with them. But does that mean he didn't have joy? He had perfect joy. He had perfect joy even in the middle of sadness. That joy that was rooted in the hope for the resurrection that he was about to demonstrate with Lazarus. That's the kind of joy that we can have, is joy that even though we go through times where the tears flow, that we're assured that God is for us and not against us, and that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's an abiding joy. So it's deeper than happiness. It's not the same as happiness, but I would even put it this way. It's happier than happiness. The kind of happiness that the world offers you is just this temporary thrill that goes away. You go to the concert, it's great. You wake up the next day in the same mundane bedroom. You go to the Super Bowl, your team wins, amazing. The next day, you get the flat tire. What the world offers is just these little bumps, these ups and downs. What God offers is abiding, certain joy, even in the middle of all of those ups and downs. And it's a prayer that God would fill you with that joy and fill you with all peace. What is that peace? Well, we probably know the Hebrew word shalom. That word shalom is kind of the idea that this is rooted in, going back to that Old Testament concept, where it's that peace that's not just about, uh, not just about well, our enemies aren't attacking us. Well, that's part of it. And, and not just about, well, things are going pretty good and I feel okay, but that's part of it. But it's kind of this, this all-encompassing idea of, of God giving rest, of God making things okay for us. God putting our relationships right. God taking care of us. God making it so that we can relax mentally. <laughs> that doesn't mean turn your brain off, but so that we can just say, okay, things are all right. And again, that's the kind of peace that we can have in the middle of storms and trials and difficulties as Christians. 
That's part of why it's called a peace that passes understanding in Philippians 4.7. This peace, it's described in the Bible as peace in relationships, first of all, beginning with peace with God. As it said back in Romans 5.1, that, uh, that as we trust in Christ, that we have peace with God, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. We were God's enemies. Whether we were thinking about it or not, we were in rebellion against God in our sin. We were not at peace with God. And that wasn't God's fault, it was our fault. We were his enemies. But as he has redeemed us in Jesus, as Jesus bled and died out of love for us, his enemies, and as he's brought us in by the power of the Holy Spirit and justified us by his grace, we have peace with God. That's, that's the root of it. That is the root of real peace, is to be right with God. And as we're right with God, the Bible also talks about being at peace with other human beings. It, it said back in, in chapter 12, as much as it is possible, so far as it depends at you, live at peace with all men. Not all men are going to live at peace with you, but as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, it says. And especially within the church, within our, our fellow believers, we're given this beautiful truth in Ephesians that Christ in his flesh, as he died on the cross, that he broke down what he calls the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. It's talking about specifically there, but really that hostility that would have existed for whatever reason between human beings, but now when we have mutually trusted together in Christ, that whatever those things were that, that made division and enmity before, that those walls can fall away. And we can forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And we can be at peace with each other. There's peace with God, there's peace with man, and there's that peace that passes understanding, as I said. That peace that passes understanding that's presented in Philippians chapter 4 as being the alternative to being anxious, being worried about all the kinds of things that could go wrong, that God is able to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. There's this peace, and what, it all comes out of, out of the fact that Jesus has paid it all, that we can rest in the comfort of God's finished work for us in Christ. The way that Jesus put it when he was talking to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, verse 27, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he says that God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace, what? In believing. In believing. Now, this is something that's connected to what we said already about the fact that God is the God of hope. This is not something that's possible to be fulfilled in an unbeliever, to be fulfilled in someone who is apart from God, separated from God by their sin, at enmity with God. But we can have this joy and this peace, he says, in believing. That comes, first of all, by faith in Christ. If your faith is not in Christ, you need to put your faith in Christ. You're not going to have hope and joy and peace in any meaningful way apart from believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and being forgiven of your sin and saved. It is in believing that these things will come. That believing that it's talking about, it's not just knowing about Jesus, but you do need to know about Jesus. You need to know that God is completely holy, that man, including you, born sinful, lost in your depravity, and it has actually worked out in real sins in your actions, real sins in your words, real sins down in the depths of your heart that never even came out to the surface, but God saw them all, and even the slightest sin hidden away in your heart is a sin against the holy God that actually deserves an eternal punishment in hell because that's how good God is and how sinful we are. You need to know that and you need to know the truth that Christ is the one and only 
but the complete solution for that problem of being sinners against the holy God. You need to know that Christ has looked on us in our sinful, ugly, lost, rebellious state and that the very character of God in being gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiving sin, that's come together in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world, lived perfectly for us, died on the cross as a substitute to pay the penalty for sinners like you and me, and rose from the dead victorious as our great prophet, priest, and king forever and ever. Jesus is the one and only solution for your sin problem. You need to know that, and you need to know that the Bible says that the the response that we must have is a response of repentantly turning to him in faith. You must repent. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But what is that believing? It's not just knowing those facts. It's not just even affirming that those things are true because Satan himself affirms that those things are true and hates this God. That believing, that joy and peace in believing, that believing is a personal trust in the personal Savior, Jesus Christ. Once you have turned to him in love, once you have been born again by the power of the Spirit, your faith is turned from whatever it was in, whether it was some other religious system, whether it was in the idea that I want to achieve and be all that I can be in myself, or whatever else your faith was in, there needs to be a turning away from those things, an agreement with God that that was sinful rebellion against him, an agreement with God that whatever sins you were holding on to, that they are not worth it, and that they are horrific in his sight, and now in yours too. And there needs to be an embracing personally of Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as the one in whom you would rest your soul. That's what it looks like to be born again. But i got to tell you, if you were born again 80 years ago, you still need to find all of your joy and your peace, it says, in believing. In believing. We don't say to ourselves, okay, I, I believed back then, and now I'm going to move on to other things. Okay, I, I, you know, I got John 3.16 when I was a kid. Okay, whatever. And now I'm going to figure out all of the, the details of how I should actually live it out. What, we, we never move past the gospel. We keep on going deeper into the gospel. That's what we need to do. If you want to have joy and peace increasing in your life, to be filled with joy and peace, it's going to be in believing. It's not going to be in proving that you are worth it. It's not going to be in proving that you have merited something. It's not going to be in proving that you are good enough and have worked hard enough and have done enough religious things. It's going to be by looking back to the cross of Christ. Joy and peace and believing, glorying in the cross of Christ alone and not in what we could give to God. I do wonder, Christian, where do you seek your joy and your peace? Now, you may not always think of it this way. You may only think that you're seeking joy and peace when you're in that especially religious mindset that day, when you're especially feeling spiritual. Today I am seeking joy and peace. We're seeking joy and peace every day. We're seeking joy and peace all the time. When you come home from work, where are you seeking your joy and your peace? When you've had a bad day and things have not gone like you'd hoped that they would and, and big things seem to be on the line, where are you going to seek your joy and your peace? Are you going to seek your joy and your peace in leisure? In thinking, if I can just get to that next beach vacation, everything's going to be okay. If I can just turn off my brain for a while and scroll the internet, everything's going to be okay. If I could just gather to myself enough worldly things that will comfort me, everything's going to be okay. If I could just finally accomplish my goals and prove that I can achieve these things, then I will have joy and peace. 
even Christians, even those who believe in the Lord Jesus, can be tricked into thinking that that's where we're going to find our joy and our peace, but it's never going to come there. It's going to come through believing in the Lord Jesus. Seek your joy and your peace in believing. When your joy wanes, when your peace seems like it's gone, make a habit to open the scriptures. Your flesh is going to tell you to open other things, to find your joy and your peace when they're wavering in all kinds of worldly stuff. Discipline yourself for godliness. Find your joy and your peace in believing in the Lord Jesus. So that, it says, we're halfway through this verse now. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, stop laughing at me. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Guys, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to do this. This is real power. This is not like the power of an inspirational story to just make you feel hope and joy. Boy, can you believe that that kid on crutches won the, the marathon. I, uh, I, no, this, is, this is not like that. This is actual power from the actual God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit God. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just like, I, you know, I feel like this gooey feeling. That must be the power of the Spirit. He's God. He can do anything. He has actual, real power that's beyond anything that you have ever understood or felt or seen. And it says that this power of God the Holy Spirit, who is holy, by the way, he loves holiness, he loves for us to be holy, this power of the Holy Spirit, this power of the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us, this is the power by which he can cause us to abound in hope. There are some out there who will teach that if you don't believe in the continuation today of the miraculous gifts that the apostles carried out, that you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They would say, well, if you don't speak in tongues at your church, if you don't have a healing ministry, if you're not out there giving prophecies, if you're not doing these things, then, then you don't really have the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, yes, we do. God gave those miraculous gifts, really did, for a real period of time in the life of the church. And the fact that he is not making those miraculous gifts possessed by Christians today doesn't mean that he's stopped working miraculously. It doesn't mean that he has stopped actually, literally healing people that we pray for, for him to heal, not for us to be healers, but for God to heal. And God works in these incredible, powerful ways. And you know what the most powerful way that Jesus described the working of the Holy Spirit was? He said it's like a hurricane, like a tornado. They can come where the wind blows across the soul. This is John 3, where he said, you must be born again. The way he described it is the power of the Holy Spirit through this mighty hurricane wind to remove the heart of stone and to give a heart of flesh, to make somebody who was lost and dead in their sin now alive in Christ. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's miraculous. God works in many miraculous ways, even without the help of human beings. But guys, one of the ways that you see this power of the Holy Spirit is that people who were hopeless, joyless, no peace, separate from God, now can be filled with all joy and peace in believing, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we may abound in hope. What does that mean? What is that powerful working of the Spirit for us to abound in hope? Well, he says it's abounding. It's not, this is not just a little bit of hope. He doesn't say he'll, he'll give you a pocket full of hope that you can reach into when you need it. He says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he can cause us to abound in hope. And he prays that, that we would. So much hope that you won't know what to do with all of that hope. This is a, he, he's not just going to kind of put enough hope in your gas tank to, to make, let you get to the next station. He's going to fill it up all the way and it's going to be spewing out and you'll say, that's too much hope. 
This is, this is a hoarder house full of hope where you can't even open the back door without a pile of hope tumbling out onto the patio. This is so much hope that you won't even remember what it's like to waver in hope. That's good. We need to be assured of what we have ahead for us in Christ. And if we want that, we should pray for that. We should pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would cause us and cause our brothers and sisters in Christ to abound in hope. Some of what that hope looks like when it abounds, it looks like this. Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's hope. Where we say, wait a second. Yeah, there's all kinds of tossing waves here on earth. But I have a sure anchor for my soul behind the veil in the true holy of holies. His name is Christ. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, what does that hope play out as? Well, it says that put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's life-changing hope. It's hope that says, I don't have to cling to these sins that make me feel like I can have a worldly hope. I can let it go because my life is hidden with God in Christ. And when he appears, I will appear with him in glory. It's that hope that sets us firm so that no matter what part of the book of Revelation we identify with as things are tumbling down around us, that we can listen to Revelation 14, 12 and stand firm in our hope here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments from God and their faith in Jesus. So, I want to pray this for us together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's do pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this prayer that you breathed out by the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen. And I, I pray that you would help us to be a people who pray and who pray with and for each other. And Father, I pray for those who this prayer is not yet for because they don't know the God of hope. They're not yet believing. I pray that you would turn them to see the sinfulness of the state that they're in, to see the holiness of God. And I pray that you would turn them to believing, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, being saved to, to be able to have real joy, real peace, real hope in the God of hope. God, I pray for us. I pray that you, the God of hope, would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. And God, I pray that as all of this is at the end of this section dealing with all of these problems, I pray that as we turn to you, the God of hope, as we abound in hope, Lord, that you would bind our hearts together in glorifying your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.